Welcome to Bite-Sized Agency Briefs, a webinar series that packs a ton of important agency information on one topic from one expert into a 25-minute brief. Why 25 minutes? Because who has the attention span for much more these days? And you can squeeze in a listen between meetings with time for a bathroom break or coffee refill before your next meeting. Thanks for tuning in. This is Bite Size Agency Briefs. I'm your host, Steve Guberman from Agency Outsight, where I coach agency owners to build the agency of their dreams. Uh, I'm real excited to be here with Marcel Petipas. I uh, hope I didn't butcher that. Uh, Marcel is the CEO and founder of Parakeeto, a company that's dedicated to helping agencies measure and improve their profitability by streamlining their operations and reporting systems. These are problems that Marcel found in running his own agency in his early 20s. And uh, Marcel, thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here, Steve. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I've, I've seen Parakeeto for a long time, probably since about the launch kind of in the agency uh, ecosphere. Um, so it's an honor to, to have this time with you and share some of the knowledge that you've gained over the years. Um, give a quick backstory, agency life, launching Parakeeto, what led up to it and how'd you get to where you are now? Yeah, um, the, the real quick story is that my first business ever was an agency. We were doing uh, real estate virtual reality services, so creating 3D models of houses um, back before you could do that with your iPhone. Um, and, you know, I became familiar with the challenges of trying to be profitable enough to scale operations, to hire other people to do the work, um, to pay for overhead and all that kind of stuff. And at the time, real estate market was a little different than it is, uh, today. Although I, the, the day we're recording this, like we're talking about another housing crash, so I don't really know, but at that time in my city, it was very much a buyer's market. Houses were sitting for a long time. The average mm -hmm. price of a home was like 150,000 Canadian pesos. So real estate agents were pretty um, pretty hesitant to invest a lot of money in their listings. And I had really tight mm -hmm. margins. And I kind of figured out really early on that there wasn't enough margin there to scale that business without me being the one doing the work. So mm -hmm. I walked away from that. But you know, was viscerally aware of just how hard it was to answer simple questions like, are we making money on clients and projects? And like, do we have enough work to keep somebody utilized and kind of running through all those numbers on my own and trying to bring the data together from all the different places that existed to do that. Uh, then I got into technology because I don't know, I guess I'm a, a sucker for punishment. I wanted to build a SaaS company, <laughs> spent a few years, you know, fumbling through that. And then one day got a, a call from a good friend of mine, Jared, who runs an agency out of Boise um, that specialized in software development in the medical space. And he just said, hey, you know, we spend, uh, they, they were much further along than I had ever been in my agency. But he said, look, our team spends like a day a week in spreadsheets trying to answer these simple mm. questions. There has to be a better way to do this. And I said, yeah, I totally understand that problem. And we kind of put our heads together. And that was the impetus to start Parakeeto and, and just say, what, what's a better way for us to make uh, this kind of information more accessible to smaller agencies that, that don't have enterprise, um, you know, resources to invest in, in the tools and the teams that are required to do it at scale. So when you say uh, there's a couple of things that popped up for me. So when you say smaller agencies, are you talking like zero to 10 or like under 100 or what's the ideal agency that, that can really benefit from Parakeeto? Yeah, the, the, our perfect client is kind of in that 10 or 20 employees on the low end up to like 75, maybe 100 on the high end. And really the vacuum that we're filling is, and my thesis on this is that there has been a democratization of data 
uh, over the last decade, especially in the project management and professional services space, where the cost of creating data about people and projects and time has basically gone to zero. Um, and now you have these agencies that have all this data about clients and people and projects, but they're struggling to get really any value out of that data. And so they need to adopt data management practices that historically only enterprise companies have really been familiar with like, mm -hmm. okay, how do we get all this data in from all these different sources, normalize it, transform it and turn it into reports that are useful. The small business hasn't really had to deal with those problems and the tool sets that exist for solving those problems like Zapier and Google Sheets. They're just not really sophisticated enough, but a small agency doesn't have the resources to employ, you know, a full-time data scientist or data engineer and, you know, a COO or somebody that has enough experience to like design a system like that. We're talking about $20,000, $30,000 a month worth of salaries plus an enterprise software license for, you know, mm -hmm. this kind of a data management infrastructure, the cloud hosting for that. Um, an agency with 25 people, they need these insights, but they can't afford to invest. It's not right. reasonable for them to invest that amount of money. So there's a vacuum here. We need better solutions for these smaller businesses in that size range to get that insight um, that's affordable and accessible. And that's kind of the, the space that we're trying to solve for. Got you. And, and when you were kind of early explaining it and, and what your process was, it, it made me think of like my early agency days where it was like, all right, we're, we're, you know, projecting tight on profitability and we didn't project out profitability. We check, we would project out revenue and that was about it. And we would deal with usability when we got into a crunch. It was like, shoot, who's going to do this project? We don't have enough people. So it was, you know, I fully feel the pain, but it would come down to if there was a profitability question, I'll just do it because as the owner, my time is less valuable, my <laughs> profitability, you know, so I'm sure that's something that you guys have experienced and solved for as well, right? Yeah, and and so much of it, and I think this is the reason why we kind of start being more interesting around that ten to twenty people size range, because that's the point where the founder can no longer subsidize mistakes in the business. Right? There's right. a scale where their evenings and weekends are just not enough anymore, and so systemic profitability issues actually need to be addressed for the business to continue to scale. And that's usually the breaking point where they start going, "Yeah, we need some help with this because we can't really figure it out, and we know we're not profitable, but we're not really sure why and what to do about it." It, and that's where we can really be helpful in, um, first of all, diagnosing what the issue is, but then also helping them get the visibility on an ongoing basis to actually manage that to success and, and build that muscle inside the business as they scale. Yeah. So so you guys have a pretty sweet process starting with an audit and, and getting into that baseline and helping agencies understand where they are, what's wrong, where the holes in their process and people are so they can plug profitability. What are some of those metrics that that you guys look for that agencies could be watching out for to help them with their predictable profitability? Yeah, which is a mouthful to say predictable profitability. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of keys in there. <laughs> um, so I, it starts with a concept that we call delivery margin. And those listening might be thinking about that as being the same as gross margin or contribution margin. And theoretically, they should be the same. But we had to create our own set of language because we were tired of arguing with accountants over semantics. Um, mm -hmm. But delivery margin is essentially looking at what is the fundamental profitability of the services that you sell? And in short, how much money is left over once all the promises made to clients have been delivered and the cost of delivering those promises has been incurred? What's left from the client fee for you to then pay for your overhead expenses and run the business and then ideally have a profit left over? And that tends to be the reason that agencies are not profitable. But unfortunately, most of them cannot see that number on their profit and loss statement without having to dig in at the transaction level and parse things out. Most agency financial statements are not um, designed to show you that number. So that's the first place that we look in the audit process. 
And then the secondary question is what is causing that delivery margin to be below target? Um, and there's really only three things that drive delivery margin. There's the average cost per hour for the agency. So in short, what does an hour of labor cost on average? And that has to do with how expensive are the people that do the work. And of course, mm -hmm. you know, we think about how, dropping that number is obviously going to make it easier to be profitable. And we do that by figuring out ways to require less expensive or more junior talent to do the work. And that typically comes off the back of more clearly documented processes and, you know, proper delegation, good team management, all that kind of stuff. The second one is utilization rates, which is looking at of all the capacity that we purchase in bulk from our team, because that's what an employment agreement is in an agency is <laughs> I'm buying 2000 hours of your life at this fixed price, and I'm going to resell those hours at a profit. Ideally, mm -hmm. what percentage of that time is being spent doing things that earn revenue for the business or that move client deliverables forward. So that the higher that percentage is, of course, the easier it is to be profitable. And then the last one is average billable rate, which looks at for every hour that my team spends doing client work on average, how much revenue does that earn for the business? And a lot of people think of that as just being a pricing conversation, but that's only half of the equation. The other yeah. side of that is how much time does it actually take us to do these things? Um, and those two levers can move average billable rate. So those three metrics are really the levers that move delivery margin. And so that tends to be the focus in our audit and in our liftoff processes assessing how are we performing on those? What's the opportunity for this agency? And then can we measure and manage those to success over time through a reporting system? And I think what's unique about our approach in that is we don't have one way of doing it. A founder might say, you know what, I want to have an agency with low utilization. I want to have a culture uh, where we have a four day work week or we just don't bill our clients or we don't bill our team out that much. And then we can say, that's fine. Let's talk about what needs to be true to achieve that. Or they say, we want to be a low price competitor. Like we're, we don't have an opinion on the business strategy necessarily. We'll provide advice on that, but we're very objective in terms of respecting the constraints or the cultural values that an agency has and just being objective about here is what the financial model needs to look like, or here are the options that you have to achieve your idea of success within the constraints that you have for the business. I love that. And, and similar to kind of how I approach things, it's not a cookie cutter, even though you guys have a system and a process. Yeah. The start and end are different because agency owners have different goals, wishes, you know, like you said, different uh, definitions of success. And so it might not just be, all right, every agency needs to have this, you know, 40% profitability, you know, net, net profit bottom line. Yeah. That might not be the goal. And I think that's so, really important because so many of the other offerings in the space that focus on these metrics focus on benchmarking. And I think that benchmarking is innately problematic because it doesn't matter what other agencies are doing. Um, it only matters what your agency is doing in the context of like its objectives and, you know, like revenue per FTE, for example, is a, is a metric that gets thrown all around a lot. And there's actually nothing wrong with revenue per FTE as a metric. I think it can be very useful as a proxy for delivery margin, but the way that it's benchmarked is problematic in that there's just this kind of arbitrary number where it's like, oh, over 200 is good, under 200 is not good, but it's like, you can't make, that's just not true because if your whole team is in San Francisco, 200K is probably not good. And if your whole team is in Bangladesh, 200K is probably in, insanely good. It's right. a relative thing. And so I, I find that too many agencies are focused on benchmarking and they start to set internal targets for these metrics based on those benchmarks uh, without actually considering their own context, which is much more important than what anyone else is doing around these metrics. 
so using benchmarks kind of as as bumpers in certain situation works but because every agency has so many individual nuances you know number of people services geographic location nowadays is so vital because of how distributed everybody's become um so benchmarking can be helpful but not as a golden rule not as a concrete def definer yeah yeah and it, you know you hear these blanket statements like you you can't be a profitable agency if you bill by the hour or if you have a low average billable rate or if you don't have a right. utilization number and that is just objectively not true like mathematically that is incorrect there are many ways to be profitable even if your average billable rate is low it's just about understanding holistically like what other levers you can move um so yeah i think like i, I get I get frustrated about those conversations because they lack context and I have mm -hmm. to then unravel a lot of that with our clients that come in with this insecurity or this fear or this idea of what they need to do. And then we end up realizing together, like, well, actually you don't need to do that. You have other options and it's yeah. about really balancing those against their priorities and, and their cultural considerations with what kind of business they want to run and how they want to be positioned and so on. Yeah. Totally random, but it reminds me ages ago, I went to a web standards conference, like it was like the Zeldman crew back in the day. And Jeff Croft, who used to work for Carl Smith at Engine Works, was the speaker. And people would ask him questions and every answer was, it depends. <laughs> and to the point, the third or fourth question was like, what do you, why do you still say it depends? And to your point, I mean, everybody, every agency is different. Every scenario is different. And, and those you know, solely objective definitions of, you know, defining it based on net profit or usability or average billable rate or things like that, that might work for a specific agency, but it might not work for all agencies. So yeah. those answers, it absolutely, it depends. Yeah, I yeah. get that. Now, I will say that there are, there are simple rules that can apply, but they're percentages, right? And they're, it's right. all about relativity. So for example, um, you know, it, let, let's assume that you wanted like a 30% net margin and you want it to be an agency that has a really strong work environment, you're investing heavily in administration, in sales and marketing, you want to invest 30% of your agency gross income in those areas, then what that would mean is you need to have a 60% delivery margin on your profit and loss statement so that you can spend 30% of that money on overhead and then have 30% left over. In order to achieve a 60% delivery margin, there's a certain amount of, of delta between your cost for your delivery team and your price that needs to be achieved, yeah. right? So like those are truths, but those are relative truths. And then the question of what exactly is the target for your average billable rate depends on what is your cost per hour on average, or you know what kind of payment do you make to your people? And what is your utilization rate? Those are all factors that then have to get considered. So the benchmarking is not innately uh, problematic, but benchmarking at that level of metric is the challenge, right? It, when the important thing is looking at like, what are the ratios that need to exist? And then understanding that there's multiple ways to achieve those ratios. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get clients will say, so what should this employee's usability rate be? Or what should we be charging per hour? And it's like, here's some tools we can use. You know, I've got, you know, spreadsheet templates that people can use to, to figure out average billable rates or total agency costs and things like that. But it comes down to, to your point, man. And it, I think it always has to come down to that. What are your goals and what do you want? Um, the four day work week is great, but does that mean we're all working 10 hour, 12 hour days now, or is it still, you know, in that eight hour workspace or, you know, what does that do to our usability? So, yeah. And who's paying for it? Who's yeah, paying who's for paying? it? Like, yeah. I had that exact conversation with somebody where, you know, and, and it's nuances too. They were like confused as to why they weren't profitable. And then we started digging into it and they're like, our utilization is really high. 
And then they talked to me about how they were doing a four day work week. And I was like, okay, well, is your basis for capacity the five days per week or the four? And they were like, well, it's the four. I was like, cool. So the reason you're not profitable is because you're not accounting for 20% of the time that you're buying from your team that you're now just giving them back for free. And you're not factoring that into your price. So your clients aren't paying for that. You're paying for it. And it just so happens that that 20% is all the margin that you would otherwise have in the business. So you're breaking even because you're trading your profit margin in for the four-day work week. And if you want to do a four-day work week, you can continue to do it that way. Or you can start getting your clients to pay for that capacity. But like that is just the mathematical constraint of this, right? Um, And so those nuances matter a lot too in terms of understanding what is the proper measurement of something like a utilization rate or an average billable rate because the devil is in the details. And I have conversations every week with agencies that are, they have that same struggle. They're like, all of our metrics are good and yet we're still not profitable. Why is that? And it's like, because Mm -hmm. there's a detail about how you define this metric that is, you know, creating this, what seems like a small percentage difference that is actually really material at scale. It's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars to you in the run of a year. Interesting. So what are those kind of lost numbers that they're not thinking about? Yeah. Uh, So there's a bunch of places where we see this gets mixed up, but um, the definition for capacity and the definition of a billable or delivery hour are two places where we often see clients get tripped up. So um, with capacity, this is often a byproduct of the team being held accountable to utilization. And so somebody's capacity starts to become this idea of like available capacity, right? So, uh, you know, if they're on vacation, we, we take that out. Or if they're on holiday, we take that out. Or, you know, if uh, we're only expecting a certain amount of that time to be billable, we take out the non-billable time. But Mathematically, if you think about that, the more time off or non-billable time that somebody has based on that definition of capacity, the more profitable the agency becomes. We know that that's not true. So that cannot be the definition for capacity in a world where utilization is meant to measure the financial efficiency of your team. But the reason we see this happen is often because a client will start to try to expose utilization to their team as a performance metric. And then the team, rightfully so, starts going, well, this is bullshit. Like I take vacation and my utilization goes down and then I get slapped on the wrist for it. And so the definition starts to change to appease sentiment. And the problem there is like, well, you never should have exposed utilization to your team in the first place. That's not a good use for that metric and it will cause (laughs) that problem, right? And then similarly, the definition of a billable hour starts to change where Mm -hmm. it starts to get conflated with two things. A, that it matters if the client was billed for the hour or not which is not relevant at all in the context of utilization, a billable hour and a delivery hour are different. uh, And sometimes we have to create those, those two different definitions because the billable hour has a connotation of like, did we bill the client for this time? And that's a pricing model kind of thing. And then the other question is how much time did we spend doing this thing for the client, regardless of whether or not that time impacted the cost to the client and those delivery hours are what need to be factored into both utilization and average billable rate. So skews on that, as well as I had some clients where uh, a billable hour started to become defined as anything that was productive. So like working on the company website became a billable hour for the same reason I described earlier, the team was getting slapped on the wrist for doing what they were asked to do, which was non-billable. And then they'd be like, well, now my utilization rate is low. This isn't fair. And so we start changing the definition. But again, by that definition, the more time we spend on the company website, the more profitable the business becomes. And we know that that's not true. So those little details, right, when we mix the definition or we start rounding the edges of the definition of a billable hour, or we start rounding the definition of somebody's capacity, that all of a sudden creates a five or a 10% skew in what we think our utilization rate is. 
And that could mean hundreds of thousands of dollars in profit. And for some agencies, yeah. that's their entire bottom line, right? Or it starts to mean hundreds of thousands of dollars in differences of average billable rate. Uh, so these these nuances in the definitions are, are really important. And, and those two things are typically where we see most people mess up. Uh, and then, of course, uh, delivery margin is, is a whole other thing. The pass-through expenses, what's considered mm -hmm. revenue, what's not, that stuff all gets nuanced as well. So don't just make up internal projects to increase usability rates. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just like, you know, or, or create a separation between yeah. um, a productivity focused utilization metric that's meant to measure like how much of a person's available time is being used for productive things and separate that from utilization as a finance metric, which is only meant to measure what percentage of the time that we've purchased is being used um, for delivery time or to move client deliverables forward. Yeah. And it doesn't care at all about if you were on vacation or if you were doing something right. that was productive, but not billable. Like we got to separate those concepts, but when the metric is misunderstood and it's being used to do two different jobs, of course, then we start to get into these problems. Yeah. So, so talk about real quick, how this affects resourcing and, and projecting out. So projected profitability lets me see down yeah. the road, but it also lets me see potential resourcing problems with my mm -hmm. team based on now are you basing that on pipeline bandwidth or yeah. closed business or how do you how do you measure that there's two ways to do it uh, so one of our um big uh projects with most clients is installing what we call top-down resource planning so i think the way that most software and most uh, project management uh, frameworks think about resource planning is this bottom-up um, kind of strategy where in order to forecast our resources we have to take a project break it down into discrete tasks, assign those tasks to individual people and kind of build capacity back up. And of course, mm -hmm. the problem with that is that there's a huge amount of work that has to happen and it's really hard to maintain if anything changes. So the issue that we run into with clients is early in a project's life cycle, like it's still a deal in the pipeline, we're not sure if it's gonna close. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to try and go through all that work and then maintain that. So what's a better way to start to get forward visibility that's just as accurate, but less precise? That's a whole other discussion we can have. Precision and accuracy are not the same thing. Often they actually conflict right. with one another. So instead, it's about creating a simpler model where we have an alignment of how we think about role categories and how we estimate time on a project. And we estimate mm -hmm. from a top-down way. So we have this high-level framework for, and if we have enough data, we can actually make this very programmatic where a dollar of website budget on average, historically, has equated to, you know, 0.5 hours of project management time and 0.8 hours of development time. And, right, so we have this formula for the budget for this website is 300 grand. We can start to get a sense of what kind of resources will we need in the future and very quickly run scenarios of what if we close this deal? What if we don't? What if we hire this person? What if we don't? So that's on kind of an hours basis. And there's another even simpler way that we can start to forecast capacity, which is using our average billable rate values. So if we know what our average billable rate has been historically, if we want to get more precise, if we know what that looks like across different service lines, then we can look forward and just say, how many hours do we have available? What is the average billable rate we expect to make on those hours? That gives us a revenue capacity number mm -hmm. for any given period of time. And then we just look at our pipeline and say, okay, what's the budget for this? What's the timeline? And we can, on a financial basis, again, get a high level understanding of like, just how above or below capacity will we be and very quickly run scenarios. And it's changing the mindset of saying, instead of building this up in a bottom up way, right. which is a great practice, but should come later in the project lifecycle after a deal has been closed. Mm -hmm. How do we do this in a, in a higher level top down way? So there's less friction, there's less to maintain, and we can be quicker 
to get these assessments done um, and still get an, again, an accurate representation that's not quite as precise. Man, I freaking love all these. I mean, you're a scientist, not a designer or an agency guy. <laughs> um, we're gonna have to do a, a part two because we're running out of time, and I want to do a couple of cricket um, uh, rapid fire questions. So, first is, you know, just based based on your profile, favorite breakfast meat. Favorite breakfast meat? I gotta go with bacon. Uh, I know that's pretty standard, but bacon, <laughs> and then the close second is the breakfast sausage. There's something about a breakfast sausage, and you know it's destroying you from the inside out, but it still tastes so damn good. Yeah. All right. Scrapple, yes or no? Scrapple? Yeah. I don't know what that you, is. You don't have scrapple and bacon in uh, in Canada? Uh, maybe we do, but we probably call it something more. It's where they take all the scraps of everything left over and they make like a nice little cake out of it. Okay. Yeah. It's almost like a, a breakfast hash or a hash brown. Yeah. 100%. I'm in for yeah, that. Okay. I'm in it's for not potato hash browns. It's meats, like the leftover pig lips and the leftover whatever's. They just, yeah. yeah. Sign me up. I'm I'm game for it. I'll try <laughs> it. Here for it. All I'll right, try well, it. I'll send you some from from the states here. <laughs> um, favorite podcast, audio book, or show that you're binging right now? Uh, I've been listening to All In, the All In podcast with uh, Jason Kalkanakis and, and a bunch of other like really great venture capitalists, and uh, mm. been really enjoying that. I'll have to check that out. Um, favorite new tool that you're using that's making your life easier, either business-wise or professional-wise? I mean, I I hate saying this, but it has to be ChatGPT. It really yeah. is so useful when you figure out how to use it. ChatGPT, uh, and and then there's the other one uh, for Discord, the image generator. But yeah, like stock photos are dead. Yeah, mid-journey, yeah. ChatGPT. And now Notion.ai, we just got kind of got access to that yesterday, and it's already nice. been really handy. Very cool. And then finally, um, just a vital piece of business uh, advice that you can share. All of my mistakes in business have been a result of me assuming that I was right instead of trying to prove myself wrong as quickly as possible. And the more I lean into trying to prove myself wrong, the better everything goes. So that's probably the biggest one. Mm, I love that. And that also kind of leads to the scientist side of you of looking for the looking for the faults that you can prove. Yeah, love it. Uh, Marcel, thank you so much for your time. I'm grateful for it. And uh, we'll have to do a round two very soon. Thanks, Steve. It's great to be here. Thanks again for tuning in to Bite-Sized Agency Briefs. As always, if you found value in this episode, chances are someone else will too. So please share it with your network. Also, if you know someone with expert knowledge on a topic that agency owners would love, drop me a note. Let's get them on. Finally, Find someone to hug today.